This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of January 9th, 2023. We have a week of Jeopardy, but before we get there, Emily, let's check in. How are you? I am surviving, and that is enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, My spouse is away on a two-week business trip, so I'm doing the solo parenting thing, which it can be a lot. It can be a lot. Yes. But, you know, we're, we're having a good time. We're, we're making it work. My video game update is that I finished Kirby and the Forgotten Land, uh, nice. which, was, which was very fun. Um, and now I'm playing Yoshi's Crafted World, which is the cutest video game that will ever exist. It wow. is so cute. Yoshi's Crafted World. It's so cute. This cute is kind of outside of my normal video game intake, so I will take your word for it. I have not played in like a concentrated way a whole lot of Mario franchise. Please, please tell me that Yoshi is in the Mario franchise. It is, yes. Cool. Thank you. Okay, good. Um, after last week, I, <laughs> <laughs> I need to fact check myself on everything I thought I knew about who is in which video game franchise. I haven't seriously played a whole lot of Mario stuff, but it looks to me sort of like kind of a Super Mario Brothers platformy, like jumping mm-hmm. through things and, you know, whatever, like collecting coins. Um, but it's Yoshi. And then the visuals are all like it's a little craft diorama that a little kid made, right? And mm. like, it's like cardboard and like cut paper and like paper towel tubes and stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's just it. It is the visuals are adorable. That's cool. If that's something that people are into, definitely recommend. Nice. What about you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. As as busy as December is, mm-hmm. January gets even more for like my particular school and job. So we're we're kind of in the thick of it, but it's going okay. Yeah. I, I mean, the game I'm currently playing through is Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which is a few years old, but oh, nice. it is also, it's also, it is visually stunning. I don't mm-hmm. know that I would describe it as cute. Like Ori is cute and some of the things are cute, um, but some of the enemies are decidedly not cute, but it, it, mm. it is, it is a visual masterpiece and also just a really well-made platformer. So nice. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we have Jeopardy to talk about as much. Yes. So I guess I guess that's really what our Patreon like exclusive would should be is just like us talking about video games we as should... as decidedly not video game experts. <laughs> <laughs> I I, w- I would be up for that. We could just start talking about video game what we're doing on video games for like five minutes after the show and put it on the Patreon. I'm, I'm here there. for it. Maybe we could, yeah. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll get I don't know if anybody that. else is here for it. <laughs> I've I've wondered to myself whether the Patreon supporters want to hear me uh, chit chat about the book Ben Hur, which has been like kind of a bit thing. on the on yeah. a thing on the podcast. But I feel like a video game recap is probably more enjoyable than like <laughs> Ben Hur book club with Emily. Probably to the general population, though. 
I am our listening audience is probably fairly niche. So, you know, maybe Ben Hur would be the preferable topic. <laughs> Why not both? Um, okay, no los dos. Indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. So, anyway, we have Jeopardy. Uh, on Monday, January 9th, we have the contestants Connor Sears, a copy editor from Queens, New York, Kelly Mraz, a music teacher from Lilburn, Georgia, and Patrick Curran, a consultant from Washington, D.C., whose two day cash winnings total $45,400. We have the Jeopardy round categories Species in Peril, Their Main Musical Instrument, Runs Hot and Cold, Hot and Cold in quotation marks, Laundry Day, Whites and Colors, and Delegates. Mm hmm. At the $200 level of whites and colors, there are two symbols on this state's blue flag, a white crescent and a white palmetto tree. Uh, that's South Carolina. And um, as someone married to a South Carolinian, I, I've noticed South Carolinians love wearing the South Carolina state flag mm. in a way that I'd be hard pressed to name another state where people are that committed to the state flag. Mm. Maybe there is one that I'm not as exposed to, you know, if people from Wisconsin really love the Wisconsin state flag, I haven't had a chance to, you know, observe that. But like, I grew up in New England, we've got a whole lot of states in, a, in not a whole lot of area. And like, maybe some people can identify their state flag. <laughs> but like, right. nobody, nobody wears their state flag on a tie to a wedding. Or like, as a like state flag patterned belt that they just wear to work every day. Right. South Carolinians, like they love the South Carolina state flag. They do. I will say, I will say it is simple enough to be mm -hmm. an effective design. Yeah, I, I that is that true. Works. Yes. Cause you know, something like, I don't know, isn't Illinois just like a, just like a seal with a, like a whole bunch, like a lady in it, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, I like, think so. I, there are a lot of flags that are like, they're not actually that visually appealing. I will say mm -hmm. the Colorado variations of the Colorado flag do appear on a lot of like hats and stuff here. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I see the Colorado flag but more it's than also, I see, you know, yeah. Yeah. many. But it's also the Colorado flag was also designed to be visually appealing. Like it's, mm -hmm. its purpose is to represent the beauty of mm. the Rockies and all of that. That anyway, makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that is strange. That is interesting. So, like, Lizzo is she's a she's a trained flautist, flutist. Mm -hmm. Whether mm -hmm. we're, I think either is correct, right? And it's yes, it's kind of personal preference. Um, yeah. She's classically trained. She's good at it, but I'm not sure that I would say that Lizzo is a flutist. Like Flea is a bassist. You know, like. Are you saying because she's a vocalist? Because more? she is primarily a vocalist. Yeah. Like, I think she is famous as a vocalist and like, wow, hey, bonus. She also happens to play this instrument, which she sometimes brings out. But like, people are well, going to see like a Lizzo flute concert, you know? I, I mean, people would, but. Well, I would. Uh, I would. Sign me up. Yeah. But, but I, th I think. I, I mean, the same, I think, could be said for Weird Al or John Legend. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I mean, they they certainly utilize their instruments more in their known works than perhaps Lizzo does. But I think that there's not an answer to the question: Is the voice an instrument? Mm. You could you could say yes for reasons. You could say no for reasons, and neither yeah. like you'll never reach a conclusion. Mm -hmm. So I I understand yeah. what you're saying, but I also don't necessarily quibble with it. Yeah, fair enough. I feel like it was it's sort of an ambiguous 
category. I guess their main musical instrument, like some of these people, their main thing is playing their main musical instrument. And for some of them, their main main musical, their main thing is not their main musical instrument. Right. Assuming that we don't count the human voice. I mean, yeah, you could put Bill Clinton in there and you'd be like, oh, saxophone. Because that's his main musical instrument. But that's not what we know him for, right? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. All right, that's a that's a good counter example. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, Daily double number one is in delegates at the thousand dollar level, and Patrick finds it at the fifteenth pick. He makes it a true daily double with thirty two hundred. Uh, he's trailing Connor a little bit. Connor's at four thousand. He gets the clue the Duke of Wellington and a Prussian prince were among the delegates to this eighteen fourteen to fifteen Congress in this capital. Uh, he gets it correct. It's Vienna. I feel like this Congress and this Capitol both being in there is like kind of an extra hint. Yeah. 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 Which is makes it a little more accessible or maybe takes away some like worry about. I know it was in Vienna, but was it actually called the Vienna Congress or yes. was it a different thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Patrick is at 8,200 in the lead. Kelly's at 3,800. Connor's at 5,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are Won the Battle, Lost the War, All the Right Movies, Buildings and Bridges, Random Facts, Solve the Mystery Title, and Remember Your Phrasing. I learned something in the rant. I mean, I always learn something from Jeopardy, but I learned (laughs) something in particular that I have remembered since from the... uh, Random facts category at the $2,000 level. When he was vice president of the United States, a Colorado town bore his name. When he became a Confederate general, it changed its kin to Ken. They were asking for John C. Breckenridge. And uh, yeah, and so the ski town is Breckenridge. And huh. I was not aware that that was the, the, like, the reason and the connection there. That's interesting. Yeah. That's what you get, Confederate. Uh-huh. We're going to... Yep. We're going to change it insignificantly. (laughs) I feel like distancing yourself from the Confederacy is a good move. I agree. It's never a bad decision. I would agree Mm -hmm. with that. It is. It is a very small change, though. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I guess it's enough for me to have never thought that this town of Breckenridge was named for John C. Breckenridge. Yes. So I guess it worked. Yeah, they did what they were going for. Yeah. The $800 level of all the right movies. John Lindquist's novel, Let the Right One In, about Eli, who is one of these creatures, was made into Swedish and American films. That was a triple stumper. That's a vampire. Mm-hmm. That is a, I was going to say fun movie. It's not <laughs> fun. It is good. <laughs> um you know, if, you, if you're really looking for like a, a vampire movie, that's not just kind of, you know, your standard vampire stuff or, yeah. like, you know, sparkly vampires in the woods. I was going to ask if the vampires sparkle. Uh, no, but uh, it plays off of the vampire lore that they must be invited. Mm hmm. Anyway, I'll check it out at some point. Yeah, the kids will love it. I, um, they will not. Don't do I that. Have, so far, I have resisted my my long-term habit of watching horror movies late at night when 
my spouse is away, which is a bad thing to do. It's always a bad choice. It always turns out to have been a terrible choice. So far, I haven't done it this time. So we're going to try and hold let the right one in for another week or so. I avoid that issue by just not watching horror movies. Mm. (laughs) It's probably wise. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the Remember Your Phrasing category at the $800 level. Pick number 13, Connor uncovers it. He's at 9,600. Patrick's at 11,400. Kelly's at 9,000. Those are good scores. Um, mm-hmm. And he wagers 5,600. Gets a clue. This phrase, meaning something currently in fashion, has its origins in a special ice cream offered for a certain span of time. And he gets correct with what is flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. And Connor also finds Daily Double number three. Patrick and Kelly's scores have barely moved, but at this point, Connor is at 18,800. And he uncovers Daily Double number three in Buildings and Bridges at the $1,200 level as the 21st pick. Uh, wagers 7,000 and gets the clue. In Rome, the building called This is an ancient but active church. The one in Paris is a mausoleum. And he gets it correct. It's the Pantheon. Mm-hmm. There's a... Is it a McDonald's? I don't remember. I remember when I visited the Pantheon when I was in Rome in high school. It, there's like a weird juxtaposition of this, just this like very modern storefront, like right huh. next to the Pantheon. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Connor has, he just, uh, oof, he went on a tear at the end of that round and he is in a locked position at 27,800. Patrick's at 12,600. Kelly's at 8,200. Final Jeopardy category is USA. And the clue is, ironically, though this company founded in the 1860s is Moore County, Tennessee's largest employer. Moore is a dry county. And they all got it correct with what is Jack Daniels, which I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure they put in their commercials. Um, Hmm. It's in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And uh, Kelly wagered 8,200 everything. Patrick wagered 3,801 to uh, cover Kelly's double. And Connor wagered just 200 and ends with a winning score of 28,000. Mm-hmm. All right. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants, Suzanne Zgragan, a zoo educator from West Valley, Utah. Hopefully I remembered the pronunciation of her name correctly. Suzanne, I am so sorry. If not, <laughs> uh, Max Davison, a writer from Studio City, California, and Connor Sears, a copy editor from Queens, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total $28,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are sports trophies, New York City subway stops, potpourri, animal, vegetable, or mineral anagrams, on the scientist's resume, and the bottom line, which was about the last lines or final plot points, I guess, in some cases. Of things, no, it looks like it's almost all poems. It's, I guess. Yeah, it's got to be like the last line of a yeah of a poem or work. I guess. I haven't read the Iliad, but I had sort of assumed that you know conclude oh, with yeah, a funeral for this hero, tamer of horses. Like possibly, tamer of horses is in the last line of the Iliad. I just don't know. I don't. I don't remember either. That would be a really strange last word. Yeah, like last few words of 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 this epic poem, but who knows? It might be. I don't. I do not yeah. remember the very ending. Connor's from New York, so you would expect him to do well in the New York City subway stops category, and he did. But each of the other contestants also got one in that category. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fun category. 
Did you know all of them? Um, Did I know all of them? Herald Square didn't come to me before Max got to it, but I think I think I would have gotten it. He just was fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, Suzanne, I thought, got credit and did a, a reasonable guess on the $800 level, head downtown to the one on the one, two or three train to hit this street, the Ho in Soho, and note its pronunciation. And she gathered that that was the street that has the same name as the city in Texas, but isn't pronounced Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she tried what is Houston. We pronounce it Houston. For the for the New York City street, it's Houston Street. But you don't but have to I pronounce think, it correctly. Yeah. Nope, you don't. Not on Jeopardy. Yes. She did do a good job. That was, that was good. I'd have been terrified to make that guess. Because I'd yeah. be like, I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong. I won't try. Um, the potpourri category had a fun theme of ticks. Oh, They're I missed out. it. Oh, yeah. Went tic tac. Oh, that's fun. Tic tac toe at the 400, tic tock at the 600, tic tic boom, and then Ricky Ticky Tavi at the $1,000 level. Yeah, that is good. I like yeah. it. All right. Daily double number one is in the On the Scientist's Resume category at the $600 level. Pick number 24. Connor finds it. Uh, he's at 5,800. Max is at 4,000. Suzanne is at 2,800. Wagers 2200. Gets a clue 1927, Italy's first professor of theoretical physics. And he does not know it. He guesses who's Cassini, which I guess isn't a terrible guess, but that is Enrico Fermi. Mm-hmm. Fer- yeah. Fermi. I guess if you can't bring in a theoretical physicist to mind, an Italian theoretical physicist, uh, an astronomer is a good second choice yeah like their their work often goes you know it often overlaps a lot so i think mm-hmm. i think it's not a not a terrible guess but no yeah. fermi's the name the italian name to have for like the first you know half of the 20th century mm-hmm. in that regard so i believe he taught at the university of chicago could be wrong about that mm. anyway Anyway, uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Connor is at 4,600. Max is at 4,400. Sorry, Max is at 4,400. And Suzanne is at 2,800. He has an exclamation mark after his name. Um, Also, we learned in the Jeopardy round interviews that his father was on Jeopardy in the late 90s, I think, Hmm. and uh, won his game with a runaway. And so for his final response uh he wrote who is max as a shout out to his nine-year-old son Hmm. now max is playing jeopardy uh anyway double jeopardy categories are around the globe business partners lead vocalist of the band fourth end goal the attorney general and between two c's with c in quotation marks Mm -hmm. each one will begin and end with c Max ran two categories in this round. He mm-hmm. ran the lead vocalists and the attorney general categories. Yes. Very impressive. Yeah. And there was a tough miss and rebound in the lead vocalist at the uh, $1,600 level. The clue was before a successful solo career, David Byrne, Connor got in and said, what is talking head? Uh, but Max got the rebound with what is talking heads or the mm-hmm. talking heads. Yeah. I don't know if I've made it clear on this podcast that I do not care for the talking heads. I don't know if that's come up. Has it come up? I don't know. Probably not. We really don't talk about 80s music very much. Yeah. 
I definitely remember who the talking heads are and the song or songs for which they are known. Yeah, I don't I don't care for their brand of 80s postmodernism. Yeah, but plenty of people do. And that's fine. I will I will never criticize somebody for what they like in music. We we had a clue about nerds in the fourth and goal at the twelve hundred dollar level. Greek scholars celebrate the fourth of this month as <laughs> Exolano Day because Exolano means to do this fourth, and apparently it's March fourth. Mm. You know the Greek scholars they like to have a good time. Yeah, uh, fans of of what we in the biz call the marching arts. Enjoy March 4th because it is a declaration to March 4th. <laughs> anyway, thought that was that's, fun. That's for some definition of fun. Yes. yes. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in Around the Globe at the $1,600 level. And Connor finds it as the eighth pick. He makes it a true daily double with 7,400. Max and Suzanne are tied at 2,800 each. And he gets the clue, the most populous city in New Zealand. It hasn't been the capital since 1865. And he gets it correct. It's Auckland. Mm. And daily double number three is in the business partners category at the $1,200 level. Pick number 15. And Max finds this one. Uh, He is at 8,800. Connor's up at 14,400. Suzanne's at 2,800. And uh, he decides to wager 4000 Gets a clue. In the 1850s, a German immigrant borrowed $60 from a pal for his optical goods shop. JJ and Henry partnered up to form this brand. Uh, and he doesn't really have a guess. He guesses what's lens crafters, but that is Bausch and Lomb. Mm-hmm. Who offered me a scholarship to go to the University of Rochester. Huh. <laughs> that is not a sentence I expected to hear from you. It was and it was particularly if I chose to study like chemistry. Okay. Which I wasn't really considering, but I was like I got this at my high school, I got like the chemistry award when I was in AP chemistry. Okay. And apparently they found out and sent me an offer. <laughs> I was like <laughs> I don't know that I want to go to you, Roch. I've never considered that. That's really far away. Also, I'm pretty sure I don't want to study chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Huh. Anyway, that's my like my connection to Bausch and Lomb. Yeah, I don't. That's that is an unexpected story. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Connor is in the lead with twenty thousand four hundred. Max is at 12,400, Suzanne's at 3,600, and the final Jeopardy category is Classic Tale Characters. And the clue is, in one 19th century translation, she perceived the dawn of day and ceased speaking nearly 1,000 times. And I think that if I had been on stage and saw the category Classic Tale Characters, I would have been like, great, this should be an easy one. And it was a triple stumper. Um, I figured it out just in the nick of time. There was a lot of joking around it in former Jeopardy contestant circles about like how terrifying it would be to know what the answer was and try and figure out what you were going to write to make it acceptable. Mm -hmm. You don't have to spell it correctly, but it's got to be 
you got to pronounce it right. Yeah, it's got it's got to match up with the pronunciation. Um, yeah. So they're, they're looking for Shahrazad here, mm-hmm. and uh, Suzanne wagers everything uh, and guesses who is the Little Mermaid. Oh, I I guess I see it with the Little Mermaid, right? Like ceased speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Like. The thousand times I, I like my assumption, if I had been thinking that I'd have been like, well, maybe it's a little mermaid and I just don't know the original story. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I see that, uh, that train of thought that makes sense, but not correct. Of course, uh, Max tried who is sleeping beauty and wagered 8,001, uh, to get above Connor so that even if Connor has wagered very small or zero, if Connor misses, then Max will win. However, Max was picturing getting it right, so he drops down. Uh, Connor responded, who is Echo? And wagered 4401, which drops him down to 15,999. Uh, but Max trying to get above... Well, I guess that's that's above where Max started, so... Right. Yeah, Max would have had to get it right. Yeah, yeah Max would Max would have had to get it right. Uh, so Connor gets his second win with 15,999. Yes. And in case anybody of the, any of the listeners don't know who Scheherazade is, she's the second narrator of the Thousand and One of the Arabian Nights, Thousand mm-hmm. and One Nights, because <laughs> she's not she's not the main she's not the first narrator because that narrator tell, tells us about Scheherazade. So anyway, uh, yeah, on Wednesday we have the contestants Yogesh Rout, a blogger, podcaster, and freelance writer originally from Springfield, Illinois, Andrew Watley an academic administrator from Chicago, Illinois, and Connor Sears, a copy editor from Queens, New York, whose two-day cash winnings total $43,999. And there was a lot of buzz in the trivia world about Yogesh here. Mm-hmm. He's a heavy hitter, apparently. And, and we learn about that, yeah, in this game. We have the Jeopardy round categories. That's so last century. The movie Athlete Sport, all about Mexico. What in the world? Horses on wheels and search high and low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yogesh is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, um, v- very quick on the buzzer and extremely knowledgeable. As we found out in this round, he it was James Holtzauer's nemesis in high school quiz bowl. Mm-hmm. So that's you know not a flex at all. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure that I've like, we might've been like in the same mini league group where you're, you mm-hmm. know, randomized and can be put against people who are really who are outclassed. Way, you. Be- <laughs> yeah. way better. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure that I had, had the honor at some point in my learned league career of getting absolutely obliterated by mm-hmm. Yoga Shroud. Like I saw him on stage. Like I'm thrilled for him that he got on, but like I just saw him on the stage and was like, oh no. Oh no. Like, oh dear. <laughs> I know where this is headed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I always enjoy this. And this is in the Mexico, all about Mexico category at the $800 level. This Southern state has Mexico's largest indigenous population and a name where the X sounds like an H. Uh, that's Oaxaca, mm-hmm. um, which I just always like that name. And I've always, yeah. that's always stuck with me as one that's been interesting. Much like people sometimes 
think uh, about my home and city that they've, if they've heard of it and they've seen it spelled, but they haven't put it together, people will sometimes get the idea that Massachusetts contains both a city named Worcester and a city named Worcester. Mm-hmm. I knew there was a place in Mexico called Oaxaca, and I didn't know how it was spelled, and I did not put it together that it was Osaka oh, or whatever yeah, I was coming up with. X, right? Yeah. yeah. That's not the one that you would have guessed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought those were th- those were two places. I, I didn't I didn't put the pronunciation and that spelling together, although I'd encountered both of them until embarrassingly late in life. Well, that's okay. We all yeah. learn. Yes, we points. do. I thought Andrew had a really good pull in the movie athlete sports sport at the thousand uh, dollar level. Sylvester Stallone over the top. That's arm wrestling. Huh? I don't even know the level of like film knowledge you have to have, or, or maybe just like B movie knowledge in order to get to that particular film. Mm-hmm. But good for, good for Andrew. Yeah. Oh, I see how he got it now at the thousand dollar level of what in the world we have In the King James Bible, the prophet Hosea ominously says that transgressors shall reap this. Now, once again, I am an ordained minister with a Master of Divinity degree. Oh, are you? I thought reap what they sow. I don't know. You guys remembered the category, which is what in the world, uh, and came up with uh, reap the whirlwind, which I think, you know, that's a deep pull. It is a deep hole. You know, I've I've read that line. I've heard that line, but it did not come to me. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the That So Last Century category at the $800 level. And Yogesh finds it, um, which is what happens when... When you get you, most of the clues When right. you are that good on the buzzer and getting that many clues correct. Uh, he has 6,000 with Andrew at 2,600 and Connor at 800, and he wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. When this city hosted the 1984 Winter Olympics, it was still part of Yugoslavia, and he gets it correct. It's Sarajevo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Yogesh has 12,400, and Connor and Andrew are tied at 3,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are the X State Capital, Historical TV, Down Your Alley, Science Words, questionable book titles and score to settle each correct response will come between those two words score and settle in the dictionary historical tv was recent tv set about in historical times various mm-hmm. historical eras not the tv of decades past yeah which i wasn't totally sure which way that was gonna go you know like where were we gonna get like i don't know right. i love lucy Mm-hmm. Or were we, where are we going to get Call the Midwife? It turns out Call the Midwife. We got Call the Midwife. Yes. My wife loves Call the Midwife. Call the Midwife is great. Yeah. If you can tolerate entertainment that's about possible and sometimes actual negative outcomes for pregnant women and, and babies, which not everybody always can. Yeah. I'm got to be honest, pretty surprised that my wife loves it so much. Yeah. Because that's a real like that's a real non-starter for her typically. <laughs> um, but I mean it's a well-made show. And she likes period dramas anyway. And this one hits a number of different periods throughout its run. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we had a triple stumper at the 
$1,200 level of questionable book titles. Originally self-published in 1970, this guide for job hunters and career changers has sold more than 10 million copies. Connor tried What's Who Stole My Cheese? (laughs) And Andrew followed up with What's Who Moved My Cheese? Which I'm not familiar with whatever book they were trying to get at there. Uh, what color is your parachute is the is the book mm. that they were looking for. Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know. Cheese makes everything funny. Like there, there really shouldn't be a funny, funny guess. But to me, yeah, it was like, oh, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who moved my cheese is the title of the book. So if that was what they were looking for. Andrew's follow-up would have been correct, but it wasn't. Yeah. It's too bad. Too bad. Because he probably felt really good about like, you know, Connor guessed it and he's like, oh, I know the name of this. Yeah. And then it was wrong. He was like, ah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the questionable book titles just above that at the $800 level. Pick number 14, Andrew finds it. He is at 10,200. Connor's at 2,200. Yogesh is already at 20,000. He wagers 5,800 and gets the clue. Retelling nursery rhymes as if they were crimes, a humorous work asks, who pushed him? And he gets it correct with who is Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. People have to wager what they're comfortable with. But if you can, <laughs> my advice is to assume that this is your chance, right? right. Like... I mean, if you're neck and neck, if you and and your main competition or or both other contestants are are pretty well matched and you're worried that a huge wager will make you anxious, Mm -hmm. sure, okay, keep it small. But like, if you're up against a buzzsaw and you find a daily double, like you have to assume that they're going to keep being a buzzsaw. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. you gotta, you gotta make the bet to win. yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, if somebody's at almost twice your score and you have a chance to like completely close that, like you just got to go for it. You've got to. Agreed. No hate to Andrew. Everybody's just making their best choices (laughs) that they can in the moment up there. But like, I I feel like we see this a lot that somebody is trailing. They're clearly outmatched on the buzzer. And then they make a wager that it's like, well, if there's a big turnaround going forward and I get really good on the buzzer and the other person gets really bad, then I'll be, you know, like, and you've got to assume that's not going to happen. Sometimes it does, right? Like sometimes the other person had control of the board and they have exhausted the categories in which they are strong, but like, usually they're going to keep playing the way they've played. Right. Daily double number three, though, is in Down Your Alley and Yogesh finds it at the 18th pick. It's at the $1,200 level. Uh, he wagers 4000 of his 22400 Andrew's up at 17000 at this point. Connor's trailing far behind at 1400 And Yogesh gets the clue. In the early 20th century, the sound of pianos being played gave this New York City area around Broadway its name. And he gets it correct. It is Tin Pan Alley. It is Tin Pan Alley. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Connor's way back at 1800. Andrew is at 20,800, which I'm pretty sure I won a game in a lock position with that score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's only like one third of or two thirds of Yogesh's score, which is 30,800. <laughs> and we get the final Jeopardy category pop stars. 
And the clue, in 2022, she became the first woman to have a Billboard Top 10 album in five decades, starting with the 1980s. And uh, actually, everyone got it correct. That's really nice. Connor wrote, who is Madonna? Uh, wagered $223 to end with $2,023. And Ken wished him a happy new year. Andrew also got it correct and wagered zero. And Yogesh uh, got it correct and wagered 10801 Mm-hmm. Uh, winning with $41,600, $601. That is a lot of money. That is a good half hour of work. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to Thursday, where we have the contestants Christina Mosley, a writer from Conway, Arkansas, Kyle Daly, a consultant from Washington, D.C., and Yoga Shrout, a blogger, podcaster, and freelance writer originally from Springfield, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total $41,601. And the Jeopardy round categories are there's an animal in that phrase, you're my inspiration, brews and booze, dictators and tyrants, sports competitions, and where did I leave my keys? The keys were uh, entirely irrelevant to the clues. They were. But it's a fun little gimmick, I guess. Yeah. At the $200 level, always check your pants pocket. Specifically, I'll check this style of tight-fitting pants named for an Italian island. Those are capris. Yogesh got it. I guess capris are tight-fitting. I think the more kind of hallmark thing about capris is that they are, like, cropped, right? Like, kind of... of calf length apparently to show off your capri sandals like capri is famous for its sandal makers oh yeah okay i'll accept that because really my opinion of capris is that they are they are inadequate for either function of shorts or pants Mm. but if they have that particular purpose then okay yeah i mean grain of salt because i learned it on tiktok but i did see a video of people having their capri sandals made apparently the sandal makers like make sandals custom to the buyer's foot and it's you know it's a thing there or that's what i saw on the tiktok and tiktok never lies it never does never has never will I know we, we talk a lot about the need to be more specific on certain things, but in the year my inspiration category at the $400 level, Martin Luther King never had a chance to meet this man who inspired him, but he did meet with his son, Ramdas, and Kyle said, who is Gandhi? And that's accepted as correct. It, they specifically named another member Significant of the family. Significant Gandhi, yeah. And like the fact that you didn't have to like specify which Gandhi you were talking about. I thought was a bit strange. I mean, Mm -hmm. I realize like in normal context, if you say Gandhi, there is one person that you are talking about. Yeah. If you were talking about a different one, you would specify, but also on Jeopardy, that's not necessarily always acceptable. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Which Uh, president Kennedy? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the brews and booze category at the $800 level. Uh, Kyle finds it. Hey, that sound, that feels nice to say. <laughs> he's at 2,600. Yogesh is at zero and Christina's at negative uh, 1,000. He got off to a good start here at the beginning of this round and Yogesh wasn't able to get in. And he bets it all, which is exactly right. 
I mean, he sat in the audience and watched Yogesh do what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, I mean, he's, you got to do it. Gets a clue. Beer's four main ingredients are malt, yeast, water, and these cones of a plant that help the drink keep its foamy head. And he gets correct with what are hops. Mm-hmm. And 100% mountain what? Goat. <laughs> <laughs> you can really taste the goat. Uh <laughs> So the score is at the end of the Jeopardy round. Uh, Yogesh has gotten his groove back, and he is at 8,600. Kyle is at 6,400, and Christina is at 3,200. We have the double Jeopardy categories. The Speaker in Shakespeare. Classic Albums. Everyday Latin. Save Room for Dessert. Anatomical Etymology. And What's All This Then? Which is, I guess, a way of pointing that this will all be British stuff. I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I, it was, that was weird. They clearly had fun with it, but those. Yeah. By they, I mean the writers. For instance, the $1,200 clue. The cheek of the lad who wore a Tottenham jumper to a home match of this team, the Gunners. Uh, Kyle got to correct. That's, the, that's uh, Arsenal. Josh Hill of, of Jeopardy fame is a outspoken Tottenham Hotspur fan. And mm-hmm. he, he took great umbrage to that clue because Tottenham and Arsenal are rivals. Yeah. And also at the $2,000 clue, we got the, my, my very favorite government position in the whole world. Uh, the clue is my, ch- my chart of the PM's cabinet was knocked cock-a-hoop when Mr. Quanting <laughs> served only 38 days as this chief financial minister. Uh, Yogesh got it. That's Chancellor of the Exchequer, mm-hmm. which is so much cooler than Secretary of Treasury. Yes. I think it's a fun fact that the hippocampus is called the hippocampus because it looks like a seahorse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which came up at the $2,000 level of anatomical etymology. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the everyday Latin category was enjoyable. At the $1,200 level, we had when shopping, remember this phrase, let the buyer beware. Christina got it and then sort of tripped over it and was clearly nervous about her pronunciation, but then got it out. uh, What is caveat emptor? And I don't remember exactly how she pronounced it, but it was clearly close enough. Yeah. Dilly double number two is in that same everyday Latin category at the $1,600 level. And Kyle finds it at the third pick. He is ahead of Yogesh with 8,000. Yogesh is at 6,600. Christina at 5,200. Kyle wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. An unexplored field of study could be described as this unknown land. And he gets it correct. It's terra incognita. Mm Should have gone for it with the big wager there. Should have gone for it. I mean, yeah, you you see, you've seen what Yogesh can do. Yeah. And yeah, you're in the lead. You might be feeling good. Might be feeling like I can stay ahead of him on the buzzer, but that mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want to take that risk. But uh, we get daily double number three at pick number 18. It's in the save room for desert category at the $2,000 level. Yogesh finds this one. He has been on a bit of a move. So he's at 17,400. Kyle's at 14,800 and Christina's at 9,200. He wagers 4,000. It's a clue. The Makadagadi Depression is a low point of this desert that makes up much of Botswana. And he seems irritated with himself that he only wagered 4,000 and gets it correct with uh, what is the Kalahari Desert. Mm. 
So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Yogesh is at 26,600. Kyle is... At 16,800, Christina is at 9,600. So Christina could get back in, depending on wagers and stuff. And uh, the final Jeopardy category is historic art. And the clue is, the artwork once known in France as La Tapisserie de la Reine Mathilde is better known as this. Uh, Christina tries, what is the Mona Lisa? That is not correct. You had to figure out what was going on with once known in France. Mm-hmm. And so Christina went for an artwork that is known for being shown in France. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah. Uh, but that's not correct. She wagered 5,000, dropping her down to 4,600. Kyle tried what is Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, which I can't remember where that one is, but I think he's like maybe working on the assumption that I don't know the title change or that he should be coming up with some other French title hmm. is my guess. He's wagered everything. Is that the right move here? It's probably not, right? We're so. expecting 30. So Kyle can get up to 33,600. So, oh no, Kyle does have to get it right. Not a bad move, I guess. Not yeah, it's not not the worst. It's not it's not a completely wrong choice. Yeah, yeah, because he's expecting if Yogesh makes a cover bet and misses, he'll be still a little bit above Kyle. Anyway, Kyle drops down to zero. Uh, Yogesh has figured it out though. What is the Bayou Tapestry? So tapisserie is French for tapestry, and so an artwork that was known in France as La Tapisserie. It's, is it in the UK? No, I think it is, right? Is it in, I don't uh, know. You know, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. The Bayou Tapestry is still in Bayou. All right, so it's moved back and forth between Britain and France and is currently in France. So the Bayou Tapestry is what they were looking for. And Yogesh got it with a wager of 7,001, which brings him up to 33,601 and gives him his second win. Yep. And that brings us to the last game of the week, Friday, where we have the contestants Michael Cavalier, a consultant from New York, New York, Brenda Crowell, a freelance writer and crisis worker trainee from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and Yogesh Rout, a blogger podcaster and freelance writer originally from Springfield, Illinois. It's two-day cash winnings, total $75,202. We get the Jeopardy round categories, Let's Talk Galaxies, A Side of Fabergé Eggs, Literary Overlaps, You Brought Me Fame and Fortune, and Everything That Goes With It. And I thank you all. Uh, Yogesh starts out with You Brought Me Fame and Fortune, Ken. And Mm -hmm. also I'll take that category. Yeah. Yogesh is having fun with it. He is having fun, which means that undoubtedly there are tons of people on the internet who just oh, certainly are, are just livid that a person expresses any part of humanity while on their television. Mm-hmm. Dare they enjoy themselves in this very fun and exciting event for them? Yeah, Facebook has been serving me a lot of people complaining on Jeopardy's public page about not liking whoever the current champion is. Yeah. And um, 
I just, I just don't care about that. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. You don't like them. Great. Literally no one cares. Yep. They will be gone in a certain amount of time and also get over yourself. Yep. Yeah. The people complaining about Ray swaying, which he did because of serious pain and mobility, like chronic illness stuff. Like just stop it. Stop it. Yeah. I'm going to sound like a crotchety old man, but I have this opinion, <laughs> this opinion about like anybody who expresses anything on the internet. And I realize I'm like one of those people right now doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what goes through your, I, I, again, I realize this is very like, just look in the mirror, man, but <laughs> it go, what goes through your mind to think that like your opinions and thoughts on this thing just need to be shared with everyone. Mm-hmm. People need to know what I think about this. I just, I don't know. I yeah, have, I have very rarely felt that my opinion is that important. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, ugh. especially when it's expressing some kind of negative opinion or attitude. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, tamp that sh- down. Do not express that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. especially if it's about. I mean, Jeopardy contestants are on the spectrum from not a celebrity to a celebrity. They are closer to celebrity than most of the internet commenters, but like they're still pretty much not celebrities, you know? Right. Like they're people. Yeah. Normal people. Like just let them have their 15 minutes. They'll be gone soon, you know? Right. <laughs> like, if it's really that bad for you, just turn it off, man. Yep. You have the power. There is a button. You are absolutely in control to not have to watch this thing that apparently is just so egregious to you. Mm hmm. Anyway, there was actual like clues that were, you know, happening during this game. A few of them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, And I'll tell you what, Michael came out swinging. Yes, he did. Ooh, boy, did he put on a show? Mm hmm. I mean, you look at Coriat scores by the end of the game. Michael has the best Coriat score. Oh, whoa. Yeah. I missed that against Yogesh route. Yeah, he was fast on the buzzer and he was mm-hmm. competitive on all those high level clues. Yep. The literary overlaps were, you know, fun. They give like two titles of things and the last word of one is the first word of the next. So like the $800 clue, the last thing he told blank, talk pretty one day, that's me. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> the spy who came in from the blank mountain, that's cold. Yeah, I liked that category. Yeah. I knew that Fabergé eggs were a thing, but I didn't really know much of anything about them. So Hmm. it was fun sort of seeing some of them and hearing some Fabergé egg facts. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure I've like committed any new information to memory about Fabergé eggs, but lots of fun little tidbits about notable Fabergé eggs. Uh, 1897's coronation egg with gold, diamonds, and emerald, and a replica of a travel carriage was a gift from Nicholas II to this woman that was uh, his bride, Alexandra. It was just, it, I don't know. I, had, I hadn't I had thought about Fabergé eggs much <laughs> at all. Yeah. 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 Daily Double number one is in You Brought Me Fame and Fortune at the $1,000 level, and Michael finds it at the 10th pick. Michael has 3,200 with Yogesh at 2,000. Brenda's in the negative, negative 1,800. 
and Michael makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. Tony Bennett sang this storied phrase, meaning to go from poverty to wealth, and he gets it correct. It is rags to riches. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Michael is in the lead with 10,800. Yogesh is at 4,200. Brenda's made it back up a little bit, but she's still at negative 600 as we head into Double Jeopardy, where the categories are born or died in 1923, eight-letter words, a linear category, historical movements, the city square, and I said dance. Michael had fun with that category title. Yes. He, He really went for it. I said dance. (laughs) dance monkey but he also did well in that category yeah um he would have run it if anybody had gotten the 400 hundred dollar clue which well if he uh, had yeah well okay yeah that's true if he had but nobody got it it was a triple stumper yep uh the clue was that's natalie portman in the video for dance tonight from this ex beatles album memory almost full Mm -hmm. i don't know if they were nobody wanted to take the coin flip of like well i don't know the album and there are only really two options there. Is it McCartney or is it Ringo? It was McCartney. Yeah. Um, we had some some showing off uh, earlier in the earlier in the week. Uh, I think the day before, uh, one of the clues that Yogesh answered was the Statue of Liberty, but he called it by its official name, right? Liberty <laughs> lighting the world or whatever. Yeah. And Ken was like, okay, show off. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's correct. Uh, and then here in The Borner Died in 1923, at the $400 level, the clue was died in Paris at 91. This civil engineer famous for his tower. And Michael responded, Qui est qui est Gustave Eiffel? Qui, uh, qui, qui est? Qui est? Qui est? I don't, yep. don't know because it's stupid. Why are all the letters? <laughs> it's because it's from don't, Latin. <laughs> don't, don't, don't you dare. Anyway. He said in French, who is Gustave Eiffel? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should have just let you say qui est. fine. <laughs> I'm bad at French. I know. Nowhere near as bad as I am at Spanish. So, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I think I've done a pretty good job demonstrating. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we got some showing off there. Yeah. Um, I appreciated it at the $1,200 level of a linear category. The clue was Clive Anderson hosted the UK version of this comedy improv TV series. Yogesh rang in and said, what is, and then stopped and re- sort of restarted. Whose line is it anyway? Yeah. <laughs> um, you need to phrase your response in the form of a question. But if the response is itself a question, as in whose line is it anyway, or who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, or what color is my parachute? You can. You can just say it. Just let the question be the question. Mm-hmm. We were encouraged to not get too cute with it. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink your phrasing. Just say what is every time. Mm-hmm. But from a but showmanship was- perspective, I like to see a contestant let the question be the question when the answer is a question <laughs> itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do too. All right, Daily Devil number two is in the historical movements category. At the uh, $1,200 level, pick number 15, Michael finds this one also. He's at 16800 Yogesh is at 13800 and Brenda's at negative 600 and he wagers 5000 Gets a clue. The first of several of these movements took 38 black individuals from the U.S. to Sierra Leone in 1815. And uh, he 
doesn't know. He guesses what are the great migrations, uh, but that's a back to Africa movement. Mm-hmm. So he drops down behind Yogesh for just a couple of clues. I was familiar with the back to Africa movements, but was trying to come up with a one word name mm. for that, which was there one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Presumably not, or not as widely used. Yeah. Yeah. But my brain kind of got stuck there. Daily double number three is at the $1,200 level of the city square. And Michael finds this one as well. Just two clues later. Uh, He has recovered back up to 13,800 tied with Yogesh. Uh, Brenda's still at negative 600. And once again, he wagers 5,000 and gets the clue Rittenhouse Square in this city is is named for David Rittenhouse, made the first director of the U.S. Mint by Washington in 1792. And I felt like I could see the relief on his face. He got it correct. It's Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Because that was like, yeah, he had fallen behind. He caught back up. He knew that this was like the chance, the make or break kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Brenda has not been able to get herself out of the hole. So she is at negative 600. Yogesh is at 19,000 and Michael is at 21,200. And we get the final jeopardy category in the bookstore and the clue, the name of this author dead since 2013 now appears on books written by a former U S marshal and a former Apache helicopter pilot. And, uh, Yogesh got it correct with who is Tom Clancy. And he wagered 2201, so he's a dollar ahead of Michael's score. And Michael, unfortunately, wrote who is Heller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is incorrect. He made a cover bet of 16,801. Which was the right move. Which was the right move. And Yogesh wins, squeaks out. Mm-hmm. A third win. That was close. Yeah. I mean, he clearly has the chops to go on a huge run, and it could mm-hmm. have ended right there. Yeah. Did we note that the Thursday game had no... No incorrect responses? Yeah. Or or triple stumpers? Yeah. All of the incorrect responses were followed with a correct response, right? Oh, that's that's true. That's fair, yeah. Nothing turned into a triple stumper. There were some some rebounds, but no... No triple stumpers. Yeah, no triple stumpers. Which apparently hasn't happened since like 1998. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go. That was yeah. a good game. Thursday, yeah. Thursday was a good game. Friday was a good game. Friday was a great Man, game. Such good games. But that is the end of the week, and we'll see you guys again on Monday. So this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can find some exclusive content there if you are a patron. You can slide us a few bucks a month to help support us continuing the podcast. And we might apparently also uh, talk about video games on there. So I, I don't know. We we'll, we'll, yeah, maybe. Probably not today, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you want to support us there, then it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. But we also feel that it is important to point out that there are more important things in this world. Uh, you can find links to a number of organizations that we think do very good work uh, down in the show notes. So, Emily. Do you have deep dive guesses? I do. Uh, you skated real fast past the back to Africa movements. Are we talking about those? We are not. I thought okay. about it. I thought about it, but no, we are not. All right. Uh, what about Scheherazade? We are talking about Scheherazade. 
I felt, I felt that it was a Final Jeopardy triple stumper. I yeah. felt that would be a good one to to talk about. You thought right. So we are talking about Scheherazade. Uh, I kind of figure that if, you know, that people who are going to be on Jeopardy probably know who Scheherazade is, or at least know what the name is associated with. And, you know, if and you might not, though. So figured we'd talk about her. So Scheherazade. Uh, has a bunch of different spellings uh, because ultimately it comes it comes through uh, for most translations it comes through Arabic from Persian and has a bunch of different variations. But uh, the one that we see kind of most often is S C H E H E R A Z A D E. But again, it could you could leave the C out before that. There might be no E before the second H and the R. Like there are variations that you'll see. Scheherazade is a uh, major female character, and the storyteller of the frame narrative from the collection of tales known as One Thousand and One Nights, or sometimes referred to as the tales or of the Arabian Nights, or the Book of the Thousand Nights and One Night, depending on which translation uh, you're choosing to read. Like I said, the name derives from Middle Persian, uh, like Shahrazad, which is composed of words that mean lineage and noble or exalted. And it, you know, had a variation in Arabic. And then, of course, as we trans- translate it to European languages, it gets gets moved around. So. Scheherazade as a character, we actually don't get a ton of in the Thousand and One Nights. Um, we get the introduction of Scheherazade at the beginning, and then we get the stories that Scheherazade tells. And then at the very end of the Thousand and One Nights, there is like the the conclusion of her story. But you don't get much action with Scheherazade herself. The main translation of the Thousand and One Nights, um, or at least the the like original English translation that is still kind of considered authoritative, was by Sir Richard Burton, and his translation describes Scheherazade as having perused the books, annals, and legends of preceding kings, and the stories, examples, and instances of bygone men and things. Indeed, it was said that she had collected a thousand books of history relating to antique races and departed rulers. She had perused the works of poets and knew them by heart. She had studied philosophy and the sciences, arts, and accomplishments. And she was pleasant and polite, wise and witty, well-read and well-bred. So the story goes, like the the kind of like setup for the Thousand and One Nights is that there is this king or sultan, Shariar, he like in the original translation, uh, Richard Burton names him a king of India, although that's probably a bit too actually far east for where this is actually set. He's a king of some place and he has a wife. He discovers that she was unfaithful to him. He has her executed. And then because uh, he believes that based on that, all women are uh, untrustworthy and he needs to punish womankind. Uh, he resolves to marry a new virgin every day and have her beheaded the next morning before she could dishonor him. Super cool move. So he does. This goes on for, according to the story, a few years, which means that at a, at a certain point, his vizier can no longer find 
any virgins of noble blood, like any like left, <laughs> like they they have Great. either all Great. they have either all fine. been yeah they've all been killed or they have left. Which honestly, if it took that long for them to leave, I mean the writing was on the wall. You gotta yeah yeah like day one you gotta be like no nah, I'm out of here. This is mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anyway. So uh, the vizier's daughter Shahrazad volunteers to marry the king. And so the first actual story of the Thousand and One Nights is not told by Scheherazade. It's told by her father, the vizier, as a warning to her to, like, not do this. <laughs> Even though Scheherazade is convinced that, like, she's got a plan. She's like, she's like, I can, I know what to do. I can, I can take care of this. I can change him. I don't think it's I can change him. <laughs> I, I think she is, I think she is cleverer than that. Yeah. Um, it's not the romantic, oh, but he'll change for me. It's more, it was more of like. I think I know what I can do to to make this. You know, okay, fair enough. Sorry for this. sorry for maligning Shahrazad. Yeah, I mean she she is clearly the hero of this story, and so the tale of the bull and the ass is the first story, and that's told by the vizier. Uh, but then it goes very quickly into there's not really like details of their marriage or anything. It's just like and and they were married, and then. That night, uh, Scheherazade asks if she might bid one last fel- farewell to her beloved younger sister, Dunyazad, who had secretly been preparing to ask Scheherazade to tell a story during the long night. And so the first story she is telling to Dunyazad. And the king lays awake and listens to her first story. However, she stops in the middle at a cliffhanger when the sun comes up and uh, Shariar asks her to finish, but she says there was no time. Dawn was breaking. And so the King says that he will spare her life for another day. If she will finish the story the next night and the next night she finishes it. But before the night is over, she starts a new one, which then stops halfway. And this pattern of beginning a story and leaving it on a cliffhanger continues for apparently 1,001 Nights, which is the telling of a thousand stories. Uh, And at the end of that time, Scheherazade finally tells the king that she has no more tales to tell him. But over that time, Shariar has fallen in love with her and through the morals of her stories and her, the influence of her wisdom, uh, he has become a good and righteous ruler and he has uh, abandoned his opinion his low opinion of of women. See, you can change a man. Yes, all you have to do is pre- preach at him for a thousand <laughs> nights. It's three years. <laughs> Sounds doable. It's about three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realize if the alternative is like, well, I just get killed in the morning. Like, yeah, I would. Yeah. I would tell a story every night. But that's like that's pretty much it. Like that's kind of the entirety of Shahrazad's story. There's not much more detail about it. So, you know, there's, I guess there can be, there, there's no way of knowing if, you know, Shahrazad was a real person and Shariar was a real person. Probably they weren't. The, like, earliest mention of it is in, that we have is in the early ninth century um, from an Arab manuscript uh, fragment from Syria. It has the first few lines of the book in which Dunyazad asks Shahrazad to tell her stories. Um, and it is titled The Book of the Tale of the Thousand Nights. So like this story has been known and it was written down a, a long time ago. 
But being called the tale of the Thousand Nights, even that kind of like suggests it. It's not attempting to tell a, a thing as though it actually happened. It's just kind of like more of a moral story than a than a, a history. We have a few more mentions and publications of it throughout uh, the, you know, a thousand years ago in the 10th century. There's mention of a catalog of books in Baghdad, uh, which refers to uh, Scheherazade's stories. Um, there's a reference to the Thousand Nights in another uh, work called um, Maruj al-Tabab, The Meadows of Gold. Uh, in the 12th century, a document from Cairo refers to a Jewish bookseller lending a copy of The Thousand and One Nights. And then we have a Syrian manuscript from the 14th century. And then we kind of get on to the 1700s where there are more uh, mentions of it and we start to get European translations uh, into French and Polish and and then eventually English and, you know, a bunch all, all of the versions that we have since then. It becomes much more, you know, uh, well-known and, and prominent as, you know, publication becomes a real thing. Yeah. Given that, you know, if, if you look at the entire collection of the Thousand and One Nights, there are a lot of literary themes and a lot of techniques because there are a lot of stories. <laughs> the kind of overarching one is the frame story and the embedded narrative, right? So the frame story in this is Scheherazade's story. Our unknown narrator is telling us the story of Scheherazade. And then within that frame... We have the embedded narratives that Scheherazade is telling uh, every, you know, every night. And then even some of those stories have embedded narratives. Mm-hmm. Like she tells a story of a person telling a story that we are learning from a person telling us the story of her. It's like, you know, it's a Matryoshka doll sort of, you know, uh, lots of themes of fate and destiny, uh, foreshadowing, self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, there's a good amount of sexual humor. And some not humorous also, but some fairly, you know, especially for the time, uh, explicit sexual content, which was scandalous to readers of Burton's original translation right off the bat. But um, it is pretty well understood that his translation like held true to the original source material. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even some unreliable narrators in some of the tales that she tells. Oh, fun. Uh, there are horror elements in some of them. Um, mm-hmm. There are what might be considered fantasy and science fiction, you know, with like, uh, with, well, Sinbad and any of the genie stories, um, and Ahmad and the, and the fairy, those, you know, various elements and different stories and as well as poetry, right. It's, it's a huge work. Um, the original, and I, I guess I shouldn't say original, but like if you gather all of the thousand and one nights, it is 10 volumes. Wow. Uh, so if you have a book on your shelf, like I do, I'm looking right at it. It's called Tales from the Arabian Nights. And I just oh, like, okay. as I got it, I was like, oh, cool. I have, I have the Arabian Nights. And I, you know, as I open up to actually read it, it's like, these are selections <laughs> from the, from the Thousand and One Nights. And as I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way. There's absolutely no way this is everything that that is covered in the mm-hmm. a Thousand Nights. So some of the more notable ones or the, the, the better known ones, uh, I mentioned Sinbad, Sinbad the, the seaman and landsman, and there are seven voyages of Sinbad in that story. There's the barber's tales. So the barber tale of himself, the tale of his first brother, his second brother, his third brother, his fourth brother, his fifth brother, his sixth brother, and then the end. Um, there's the tale of the three apples, 
There is the trader and the genie, the fisherman and the genie, the porter and the three ladies of Baghdad, which that one is about, uh, that one is is one of the, I believe, unreliable narrator stories because it's basically just a bunch of people telling stories about how the other people are lying. I mentioned um, Prince Ahmad and the fairy Peribanu, of course, Alibaba and the 40 thieves, and Aladdin or the wonderful lamp. Uh, those are just some of the many, many stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought about trying to list all of the stories, but I'm like, that's hundreds of, of titles yeah. and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, you know, not all of the stories were finished within one night, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the tale of the trader and the gin took three nights, the fisherman and the genie took six nights. But as you read through it, essentially you'll get to the end of like a chapter and it says something like, and at this point, she perceived the dawn and ceased speaking. Mm. And then there's a page break, and then it goes on to the next, to like the next part of the story. Yeah. And Scheherazade and the Thousand and One Nights have had a, a big influence and impact on popular culture and, you know, um, art, music, that kind of thing. There's, you know, in, in literature, there's mention of it in Candide, Alfred Tennyson's poem, The Recollections of the Arabian Nights. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a thousand and second night, hmm. which is interesting. 20th century saw a lot of them. 21st century saw sees a lot of this stuff. Uh, it comes up especially as fantasy and science fiction and, you know, like historical fiction become genres. We, we get a lot more inclusion of that. Plenty of dramas have been created, whether it's a movie that's based on a particular story from The Thousand and One Nights or like a dramatic retelling of Scheherazade. And then, of course, in music, we have the Rimsky-Korsakov symphonic. It's it's not a symphonic poem because it's longer than that. I'll call it a symphonic poem. Um, It is in four movements. It has the sea and Sinbad ship. The Calendar Prince, The Young Prince and Young Princess, and The Festival at Baghdad. That's probably the, the best known of them. Uh, but there are other, like the Nielsen Aladdin Suite from 1919. Scheherazade from 1902 is a set of three poems for voice and orchestra by Maurice Ravel. And most recently, in 2014, John Adams wrote a uh, dramatic symphony for concerto and violin hmm. uh, called Scheherazade Point Two. Uh, and apparently it imagines a more modern and heroic female lead. There have been a number of operas, either of Scheherazade or of stories from the Thousand and One Nights, and we see it in visual art. I'm not going to get into all of the lists, because like I said, it's a lot. We see it in visual art. We see it in games. For instance, the Al-Qadim setting for Dungeons & Dragons is Hmm. based heavily on that. The, what is it, Quest for Glory 2, Trial by Fire is based on the Knights. That's a, a point-and-click adventure game from 1990. Uh, Scheherazade is in the Korean MMORPG Atlantica Online um, hmm. and also appears as a, uh, I don't know, playable character in a lot of different games. Like Genshin Impact. Oh, no, Dunyazad is a character in Genshin Impact, apparently, which is a modern game, like a, a present game today. Hmm. And I might actually, and by might, I mean I definitely will be mentioning at least one more in, uh, or two more, actually, in the quiz. Shocked. I'm shocked. I know. I know. I just don't do games. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's 
kind of it. <laughs> like it's, uh, there's so much that I can't really do all of it in a deep dive. Um, but that's who Scheherazade is, right? Scheherazade was not a real person, mm-hmm. but she is known for her wit. To quickly recap, the Sultan was Shariar. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, I'll add this on to the end of their story, he invites his brother, who is the Sultan of another place, of like Bashalbek or some like somewhere in Uzbekistan. His brother also had a similar like thing happen where his wife was also unfaithful, and so he had her killed. And then he also did like the same thing that Shariar was doing, like marrying virgins and killing them. And so he invites his brother out after all of this. He tells his brother his the story of his like transformation and his brother sees the light, I guess, and falls in love with Dunyazad. And now both of the sisters are married to sultans and the sultans are good people now. And it's a very happy ending. Hmm. And remember in the name, uh, Sir Richard Burton is the okay. name associated with the tra- the English translation. So there we go. Nice. This has been great. I Good. know a lot more about Scheherazade than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So are you ready for a quiz? I am ready for a quiz. Okay. This is based like more on the Thousand and One Nights than Scheherazade herself, although the first two, uh, I don't know. It kind of transitions. Here we go. Question one. Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov composed the arguably best known musical interpretation of Scheherazade's story. He was a part of a group of Russian composers known as the Mighty Handful or Mighty Five, which I'm pretty sure I've asked another question about. Those other composers were Mili Bulakarev, Cesar Kui, Alexander Borodin, and Modest Mazorsky. Rimsky-Korsakov reorchestrated a famous piece by Mazorsky, which is featured in a 1940 Disney production. What is that piece titled? It portrays a witch's Sabbath. Is it, I think it's Night on Bald Mountain. It is Night on Bald Mountain, or Night on the Bear Mountain is, I think, a perhaps more accurate translation, but we typically call it Night on Bald Mountain, yes. Yay. Yeah, so the like original Mazorgsky version is a bit more raw and not like not as refined. And the Rimsky-Korsakov one reorchestration is a little bit more, it's just cleaner. I don't mm-hmm. really know which one I like better, but yeah. Yeah. Nice job. All right. Yeah. You have 20 points. And question two. Keeping in the music vein, sort of, Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade has been arranged and modified for many settings. One, or I guess two such instances, are the 2004 and 2014 shows titled Scheherazade, by Santa Clara Vanguard. Santa Clara Vanguard is what type of organization that, despite its name, is not just battery and front ensemble? This type of organization has been known to also, or does typically include brass instruments and has even occasionally included electronics. And at Mm. one point, controversially, a saxophone. As well as color guard. Um, is it a marching band? Not technically. Um, It is a drum corps. Oh, okay. So a drum corps, they are independent organizations. Like they're not, you know, they're not associated with schools or anything. And they are brass and percussion. Hmm. There is not, I don't think there's technically a rule that you can't include woodwinds, but it is just not 
part of what you do. Mm. Um, one group did have like a saxophone solo one year recently, and a lot of people got very upset. Hmm. Anyway, that's a drum corps. If you ever get a chance to go to a drum corps show, they're pretty fun. Nice. They're, they're, they're entertaining. Uh, okay, you are still at 20 points, and we are at question three. Shahrazad is a card from the 1993 Arabian Nights expansion set for what game? It tells players to play a smaller game within the game, which could result in a thousand and one games. I know there are a lot of card games out there with expansion set. We're talking about a card game here, it sounds like. So I know there are a lot, but I'd be hard pressed to come up with one that I'm expected to know that isn't Magic the Gathering. So I'm going to go with Magic the Gathering. Good, because it is Magic the Gathering. Yay! Um, also, I wouldn't expect anybody who isn't like into Magic the Gathering to necessarily know this, but 1993 was, uh, that was the year like that the game started and its first expansion was Arabian Nights and mm-hmm. um, Magic the Gathering is celebrating 30 years this year. Um, they're doing a big, big celebration of that. But yes, it is Magic the Gathering. Uh, and if you play the Shahrazad card, you have to stop the game you're in, take your deck, and play a smaller game within that. <laughs> like, play another game within your game. And at the time, that often meant that another person would draw another Shahrazad, which then you'd play that in your mini game, <laughs> and then you'd go into another game, and you'd have to resolve all of these games within games before you could finish. And it was... It, it has... <laughs> Understandably, it was banned in competitive play. <laughs> Actually, it was banned in all formats, technically. So even if you go and play at your friend's house, they could be like, no, nah, you can't play that, man. That's, that's banned. You got to get rid of it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's very nice. funny. It is, it is. It's absurd. Uh, they had some weird stuff early on. They've kind of streamlined their design process at this point. <laughs> Although they still do some stuff that like kind of anyway, not going to get into that. All right. Question four. Disney's Aladdin is inspired by the story from The Thousand and One Nights. At the start of the film, the narrator throws magic sparks into the sky. The moon in that sky is shown in what phase? Hmm. I would guess it's a crescent moon. And you would guess correctly. I didn't want to add too much more because I didn't want it to be super obvious, but like, yeah, the crescent moon, right? Of course, being significant to Islam. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was my thinking. Help, yeah. help make the setting there. Yes, nice. Although I was deeply tempted to be like, gibbous. Gibbous, <laughs> gibbous. mood. It's a gibbous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what what uh, what animator is going to like, draw gibbous mood? <laughs> uh, nice. All right, uh, good. You are at 40 points? 40 points. 40 points. Question five. Video game designer Jordan Mechner stated that the Prince of Persia games are based on the Thousand and One Nights. Given that the title is Prince of Persia, it was a bizarre choice to cast their chosen actor in the lead role of the film adaptation. They could have probably found a Persian actor, but instead chose what star of many movies, including October Sky and Nightcrawler? Oh, I don't know who starred in October Sky. Or Nightcrawler. Also nominated for a BAFTA award for best actor for as uh, for Nocturnal Animals. Appeared in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as Zodiac. 
love uh, and other drugs. Hmm. You've definitely given me enough titles that if I were good at this, I should be able to get it, which I am not. Why is my brain saying Chris Pratt? I'm going to say Chris Pratt. Ooh, that is not Chris Pratt. Uh, <laughs> um, if I said Donnie Darko. Oh, uh, then I would have a face in my brain. And then if I could send you the face that's appearing in my brain, you could tell me whether it's the right person or it not, but I don't have a name. It, then it would probably be Jake Chillenhall. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is. Yes. Yeah. The uh, face so- that appeared in my brain is much younger Jake Chillenhall. Um. Yeah, so he was cast as the Prince of Persia. Yeah. A lot of people took issue with that. I wonder why. <laughs> I'm just putting together that it was Jake Gyllenhaal and Donnie Darko. I'm, oh, okay. Sorry, which... I'm I'm not letting you process that appropriately. <laughs> I'm going to need a moment with that. No, uh, yeah, I saw Donnie Darko before I was really paying attention to what actor was who. Mm-hmm. And I had the visual memory of Jake Gyllenhaal and like, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you're at 40 points. Uh, and the final category is psychological phenomena. Um, I'll wager 40. Okay. Final question. The 90s film Shazam, which definitely existed and I for sure watched, was loosely based on a genie on genie tales like the Arabi- Arabian Nights. It starred the comedian Sinbad, whose name also invokes the Thousand and One Nights. Liars and charlatans who are part of the worldwide conspiracy to erase this cinematic masterpiece have claimed that my memory exhibits what psychological phenomenon? Um, Kyle, you are experiencing the Mandela effect. I am not. You but are. But that is the correct answer to this question. <laughs> that movie was real, and I don't care what anybody says. I know. Uh-huh. I know it was real. Uh huh. And I'm not mixing it up with Kazam because I. Wouldn't why would I? It's not even uh anyway. Mm-hmm. Nice job. 80 points. Well done. Thank you. You know where the Mandela effect is real is the spelling of the Berenstain Bears. Mm. Somebody yes. changed it. I know. It's a conspiracy. They came to my parents' house and changed the books. Yep. I know. It's, hey, the follow through is impeccable. Yeah, the Illuminati are very effective. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Berenstains did to them to make them. I also don't know what Sinbad <laughs> did, but I know it's real. Anyway, mm-hmm. congratulations, eighty points. Yay! Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this was great, and uh, I think we all learned a lot about Shahrazad today, and. Um, Maybe a little bit about the Mandela effect also. (laughs) And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you wouldn't mind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are fans of Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.